0: Hello and welcome to Breaking Boundaries, a special podcast series commissioned by British Council Wales. In November 2022, I spent an incredible week in Sub-Saharan Africa alongside five other creative delegates. From Wales to South Africa to Zimbabwe and back again, it was an experience that changed all of our lives. I'm Jafar Iqbal, your host and guide on this journey into Johannesburg and Harare all the people we met along the way and the memories that we made together. In this fourth episode, we bring together delegates from Wales and sub-Saharan Africa to chat about their practices, the connections they made together and how they might collaborate in the future. We'll also hear from the British Council on how the trip came together and what comes next. We'll begin with a fascinating chat between two people who share a love of poetry and storytelling. Patrick from episode one and Zimbabwean poet Peggy Shangwa.
1: Are you recording now? I think, Peggy, you go first while I try to think of who and what I am this afternoon. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Hi, my name is Peggy Shangwa, and I'm a creative entrepreneur, and I wear many hats, really. Right now, I'm senior editor of Groove Magazine International. I also run two podcasts. And I run an organisation called Page Poetry Alive. I'm a storyteller at heart, and I love to tell stories using
1: poetry. I'm Patrick McGuinness. I am a writer, mostly fiction and poetry, but I also write academic prose. My exposure to poetry over the years is different from Peggy's in the sense that it's been much more inward and much less public and much less collaborative. One of the things that we would like to do together is collaborate on some anthology or special issue in which we can showcase poetry and also storytelling that is going on currently in Zimbabwe because it's something that everyone I know who's interested in poetry and literature and lyric generally would be keen to know about and find out about.
2: I remember that I didn't even remember you, but we'd met a few years ago.
1: We had, when yes.
2: I read for the Birmingham salon you heard me read and then when you met me you're like I remember your voice did you read at so and so and I was completely blown away because he remembered me just by my voice (laughs) so from that moment we started talking about hey what could we do together because it can't just be a coincidence that we've met So the anthology was the idea we had right from the first meeting.
1: You're right, it's not a coincidence because there's no coincidences in poetry. It was a wonderful flash of recognition to arrive in Harare that evening and see that it was you (laughs) giving giving the welcome speech on behalf of the Zimbabwean writers.
2: My job was to get you to connect with everyone there genuinely, not just on the surface. So when I was hosting you that night, what really grasped at my heart was all of you were just so keen to connect, keen to, to learn from the people in the room and were eager to, to have genuine conversations too. You guys had come down to Harare because you wanted to make a connection, not necessarily a connection for, hey, just now in the days that I'm here, but you also wanted to make a connection that could last beyond the moment. So that was pretty refreshing for me, Patrick, uh, from that first meeting.
1: It's thanks to Peggy that in a very short time, I got a sense of the variety of ways of thinking about poetry, making poetry, disseminating poetry. And one of the things that inspired and struck me was the whole collaborative nature of contemporary zimbabwean poetry and the mm-hmm. way in which different kinds of writers writers for the page writers for performance seem to collaborate to create a very dynamic and diverse culture how would you define the the sort of dynamism and collaboration of the zimbabwean poetry scene because people seemed extremely mutually supportive
2: that's true. And uh, I think uh, one of the things to acknowledge is that collectively we've had to support each other in the way that we create. So most of the artists you see uh, in Zimbabwe now, especially the young artists who are part of my generation, are young people who've had to pioneer and forge for when uh, those that had gone before us uh, have left the country or something else has happened politically to them. So they're not able to steal, hold space for us and create platforms around us. So we ended up having to create platforms for ourselves. So it was quite an amazing event that you, you, you're you talking about because we had the fathers, uh, so to say, of of the arts, the fathers of the, the creative sector, the fathers in literature, the poets, the the writers like Chirukure Chirukure under the same building. We had Dave's Guja, you know, who, who are people that are known all over for the work that they do. So that's quite uh, profound in essence because we'd stopped having something like that a few years ago and this is something that started up again so even dialogue amongst our generations has improved now and uh i can speak for myself uh, because when we started page poetry alive i remember i spoke to peter Churu, who was one of the the guys that was at that evening where you guys came and i say to him hey this is something that i'd want to do i want to create a platform where page poetry can come alive because we don't have Uh, room for people to read anymore. And the culture of reading is dying out. And he said to me, we champion young people. That's why we exist. And he kind of gave us permission to exist. He came alongside us. He helped us. And we were able to now exist as a body, to now become the platform for other people. So without that, we wouldn't even exist. So that's why I had to acknowledge the the fathers who've gone before us in, in that night because it's so significant. It's not just that they've performed and they've been paving the way, but that they allowed us to stand on their shoulders and be able to grow from their art, but they also supported our art and validated it in this space.
1: Do you feel that what you're doing... Connects up with what was happening, maybe in the eighties, in the fifties, and so on. Or do you, do you feel that each generation is having to sometimes start from scratch?
2: Oh, well, I think I I have kind of a two pronged idea around that, which uh, some may argue with, but I do think that uh, it's it's a bit of both. There are places where, when it comes to really forging ahead and creating platforms sometimes there are people who are starting from scratch but it only happens that way because sometimes dialogue is not created or it has died down there's no continued continued conversation around the needs that we have as a generation and some of us uh, if we have a platform and we are shining and we are soaring there is a tendency to think we've arrived as young people and we kind of miss the wisdom that is in those that have gone before us because they have hurdles they've gone over that we we haven't even seen there are things they're familiar with that we are not even cognizant of so when we forge ahead by ourselves we we are doomed to to gloom because we will face some challenges that probably they've surmounted and know some about But because we're not asking them, then we don't really know. But also there's a generation of young artists that are being supported by older uh, people. And it makes a huge difference. But I do think that the way we write now is, is different. Poetry, in essence, is always evolving. Most of our young artists write and mostly they perform spoken word. That's even why we needed to go back to page poetry, because the art in itself, the essence of page poetry was dying out.
1: I'm very definitely a page poet, um, Mm -hmm. and I wish I wasn't. I wish my writing had the immediacy uh, of performance poetry or spoken word art
2: some young generations of people still feel that if you are a poet you must be a spoken word artist for you to be respected you can't just write on the page if you come and you read your poem you are lazy so we had to actually demystify and just uh, really build value around what page poetry is because that was starting to become a culture which is why we we felt that it was needful for us to go back to the page because everything starts with the page. That doesn't necessarily mean that every other poem that stays on the page is invaluable.
1: Yeah, I agree entirely. And it's a shame, isn't it, when people think they're somehow in opposition when they're not at all, Mm. are they? Mm -hmm. We sometimes think of poetry and storytelling, as being different, you don't. Is there something, do you think specifically about the way Zimbabwean poetry works that it involves storytelling and the kind of acts of community telling?
2: We used to communally tell stories before, but because of uh, what's happened now, most families are not together. People don't gather around a fire anymore. Things are different. There's phones, there's internet. There's not a lot of that going on, even in the villages. So that's a tradition that has died out. But most of my storytelling goes back to my mother because my mom would memorize entire books that she loved to read and then would start telling us by heart. So my my dad was hilarious. (laughs) So I think I picked it up from there. So for me, I, I can't separate the two because storytelling and poetry have always been one. I know so many stories that she told us by heart when I was still very young. And I still remember. So that's where my love of words came from.
1: That's a very moving thing to hear. But it seems to me that this tradition of storytelling, though it is dying out or perhaps, you know, is severely under threat, Uh is one of the things that the internet and sort of the digital world has perhaps helped to reform
2: our community doesn't look the way that we're used to but it's still a community so we're building communities around whatsapp we're building communities around instagram facebook TikTok. so there is a level of community around the work that we're doing even with page poetry alive we have a community around us so it is true that this has been a place where the art form has come alive again and. It's become part of this bigger picture where it used to be communal and maybe we used to just have it in my home. Now it's taken a different life and it's in front of stages, it's in front of people and its reach is also wider because of the internet. We can connect across continents now, so that's beautiful. And I hope that that's something that we continue to do.
0: I hope you enjoyed that chat between Patrick and Peggy on the art of poetry. We'll be sharing one of Peggy's poems with you later on, so stay tuned for that. But for now, we'll move on to theatre and a chat between Branwen from episode two and Tafadzwa Bob Mutumbi on their plans to work together in the future.
3: Hi, my name is Tafadzwa Bob Mutumbi. I am a theatre maker from Harare, Zimbabwe the past few years I've been involved in the exploration of ritual theatre for healing of racial and social political trauma. My work is a mixture, experiment with comedy, experiment with clown, experiment with tragedy, with melodrama, and I strive to create theatre that is innovative and functional. My main focus right now is a theatre that heals, a healing theatre. The theatre that does not just uh, merely entertain, but it does something to you.
4: I'm Branwen Davis. I'm a playwright, theatre maker, dramaturg, occasional director, currently working for the Earth running their youth theatre, Akumni. Because I've had the opportunity of going to Harare and meeting Bob, I thought it would be brilliant to investigate the possibilities of seeing how we could collaborate, work together and provide opportunities for young people from Wales to explore Bob's way of working. It's always really funny isn't it when you're kind of thrown together to talk about theatre but I think what attracted me to Bob was how passionate you were Bob talking about you know your passion for theatre your passion for creating Um, it kind of blew my mind how proactive you are and how busy you are and how much theatre you create um, and you know since I've gone back to Wales and you're constantly showing me all the different um, productions that you're doing and I keep saying to you I wish I lived closer so I could come <laughs> and see all this work But, um, you know, I remember you saying that, you know, it wasn't a luxury for you. It was a need. And I was just fascinated by that, really. Wanting to know how you create work as a writer, as a director, as a performer, because you're multi-talented and you approach every project in a different way. And, you know, we've talked a lot about devising and maybe what structures you take on and how you start a play from scratch in comparison to how maybe I'd start from scratch. So we kind of want to learn from each other, I mm, guess, yeah. and um, create a project that we're yeah. both learning.
3: Yeah, it's it's sort of like we're looking for the the ultimate, for lack of a better word, ultimate cultural exchange project. Yeah, when when anybody who watches it or who gets to experience it. They experience the two cultures, the different fusion of different styles, different ways of working is something that is uh, sort of innovative and and, and functional and experimental. Mm. The idea is to allow everyone who is going to participate to have uh, authorial stake in the output, you know so that it doesn't just become a Bob and Branwen uh, exploration. but we'll... No, that
4: would be really dull. We yeah. can't have a Bob and Bran
3: show. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but, you know, but, 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 but you, you know <laughs> it is... run away
4: and do something.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it is sometimes when, when, when you're not careful, mm-hmm. it ends up being like that because, you know, like you are not opening up the space to everyone else who is involved.
4: And that's important. Yeah, definitely and finding that true collaboration. Exactly. Yes, maybe we approach work in a different ways, but also mm-hmm. wanting to find our similarities as well. Yes, yeah. You know, like creating theater, um what makes us human. So mm-hmm. what we have similar as well even though we're living on different ends of the planet. Um yeah. you know, what is it that we both are interested in um and you know, wanting an audience to feel, I guess, as well.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how a Zimbabwean audience will react to it and the Wells audience, you know, it's really exciting.
4: Definitely. But, you know, it was really beautiful when we came to um, Zim and we mm-hmm. went to Harare and we went to the Jason Theatre, how collaborative the feedback was as well, and how, you know, involved yeah. everyone in the audience mm-hmm. was on giving feedback, discussing, mm-hmm. talking. And I think that in itself was like a performance after the play itself. Yes. Um, nearly as long as the same as the performance performance,
3: yeah it's it's interesting because that has actually become sort of like the the tradition with with zimbabwean Uh theater Uh but also there's a bit of history in terms of how that came to be in the theater so there was a period 2000 to 2008 there was a lot of silencing of the media There was a lot of like draconian laws that were passed that were really uh, anti-freedom of expression and newspapers Uh were being shut down. You know, in Zimbabwe we only have one television station. So there's a lot of propaganda that was there. So theater became the last bastion for freedom of expression. So the the theater makers became provocators. You create a show and then afterwards there's you do they call it a post performance discussion, you know? So the tradition has stayed. The audiences know that even if the show is one hour, thirty minutes, there's a fifteen minute discussion afterwards and people really look forward to giving their thoughts and feedback.
4: But I think that's really important because yeah. I, I think in Wales we tend to kind of see a show and then we go off and grab our phones and maybe tweet about it or, <laughs> you know, not, not being as open as we would be, maybe a bit too polite and a little bit too quiet, but I think that... Um, Vocal discussion, passionate discussion afterwards is vital and, yeah. you know, that the audience are involved in that play too um, and in that performance. And I think I'd really like people to experience that as well, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we won't be getting to Bob and Brand show, but we really can't wait to hear what will happen next in their exciting plans for collaboration. We'll move on now to the world of publishing and a chat between Kat and Margaret Jademy on the extraordinary moment they met each other for the first time in Harare.
5: My name is Margaret Chideme. I am an author and a businesswoman. I have a beautiful nine-year-old girl and I wrote the book First 30, which is a collection of a woman's poems about love and lust. Uh, it's also about pain and abuse divorce rediscovery healing from different uh, issues that a woman in an african society faces
6: i'm kat mccrystal fletcher and i work for a publishing company in wales who wants to help authors to have their voices and their talents heard the moment we met was bizarre because we actually felt that we already knew each other. Yeah. We, we've discussed this. <laughs> yeah. So it was bizarre because we laid eyes on each other and then <laughs> were deep in conversation <laughs> about really personal matters yeah. that linked us so strongly. Yeah.
5: The thing that I really have vividly in my mind when we're having the first conversation, when we're going through the mall was me visualizing your childhood <laughs> you know, your experiences, the experiences that you had in Zimbabwe and the, the experiences you had in South Africa. And that already you know, made me connect with you. And 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 how how much you were so similar to my mom.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, that was a real link, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, really it was, was incredible. Was to be so aligned that everything was so similar and so relaxed. And actually, when I look back on what we're doing together and what you've been doing, it's it's incredible that it was definitely meant to happen. And then I found out after all of our own personal <laughs> stuff, then I found out actually you were an author. It was your um, birthday the next day, I, if I remember correctly, yes, and you it was. <laughs> had, and then you had your book that you had published and then that was a completely different story because that was why I was there was to understand people's experiences in publishing and that just blew my mind yeah regarding and was your experience I
5: was distributing my books on my birthday and you're like Maggie you need to stop doing that <laughs> uh, yes do not give away your books for free <laughs> Only after meeting you is when I realized, okay, I could have sort of, you know, spent half of what I did or even less, you know. For some reason, I felt that I had to put in that much money because I, I guess I didn't have the tools to sort of try and push it on a high quality level.
6: You're definitely not alone and every single person I spoke to had exactly the same experience yes. of trying to get published in Zimbabwe yeah. and with the same challenges and the same limitations and the same expenses, Yes. Um, yes. but actually you've been pretty involved in advocating yes. for support for authors and for people to actually publish their book. What was the first time you publicly spoke about your book?
5: When I decided to publish, obviously it was a very personal decision, I didn't really know Um, authors, Zimbabwean authors personally on that level where I could actually ask. I had access to some consultancy I suppose but still it was a lot Mm -hmm. of it I had to research especially as far as the global distribution was concerned so my publishing journey in Zimbabwe really had to do with a lot of media in Zimbabwe like dealing with the main TV news channel and uh, some um, radio stations and just doing it on my own on social media but still that proved very challenging because it seems like a very few of us are doing it that way. Most people in Zimbabwe, when they do publish, they just pretty much write their book, find a printer, and have a day where they launch the book and that's it. Mm-hmm. And even to get there is... is is. So expensive as compared to you know other authors outside the mm-hmm. country. Um, it seems like a lot of the Zimbabwean authors are really not present on a global scale. Yeah. You know when we're looking at platforms like Amazon and even if they they are on Amazon they don't know how to navigate because you know being on Amazon is like really dropping a needle mm, in an ocean absolutely. so if you don't know what you're doing it, the book just gets swallowed mm. up you know and obviously the expenses are 10 times more when we're doing it in Zimbabwe
6: can you remember which of your sort of presentations resulted in so many want to be authors contacting you because there's actually a network of people that you are supporting now. Yeah,
5: yeah. I went on radio and the DJ maybe asked me a few questions and then I left my number as well for people to contact me. And I'll tell you ninety, ninety-five 95 percent or more of the people who contacted me were actually trying to find out how I published mm-hmm. And because it was now overwhelming, I decided to create a group with specifically for young people between the ages of about maybe 16 to early 20s to sort of Mm -hmm. help them and uh, answer their questions on one platform where I can sort of give them some sort of support in their goals to publish.
6: In such a short time, you've done so much and you've achieved so much to get publishing back on the ground. So
5: since I've met um, the Wells delegation, there's been a lot of um, stuff that's been going on that uh, I actually was not expecting to happen. So I'm trying to work with Kat obviously in trying to find a solution, a permanent solution for Zimbabwean authors where we can actually set up something in Zimbabwe and help writers in Zimbabwe.
6: Very exciting times (laughs) and You know, we don't know what it looks like, but it feels to me like you are a key player in reigniting independent publishing in Zimbabwe. And I, and I, I hope so too. You are so passionate about supporting other artists.
0: As you've heard, there have been some incredibly positive connections made, which a year on from our trip have not only sustained, but blossomed into promising collaborations for the future. We couldn't finish this series without including the British Council team who worked so hard behind the scenes to make this trip happen. We have to start with Natasha Nichols, who, at the time, was Interim Head of Arts for British Council Wales. I speak for everyone on the trip when I say that Natasha was the glue that held us all together.
7: I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it again. (laughs) I think it was me actually in the group that felt oh my goodness what have i done i've put myself on a plane with six amazing people revise revise what 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 can i say what can i do what can i contribute to the conversation it it really just did bring home to me how how amazing our world is and how art is this amazing connector um, we knew that we wanted people who represented those different areas so the uh, writing for theatre, writing for digital platforms um, and publishing and you know traditional literature. So we were really looking for people who had good experiences and, and, and expertise in those areas, but who we knew would, would listen to but also contribute, people who would challenge what they were hearing but then they would also challenge what they themselves were saying and, and what they had been thinking we had a couple of projects already in Zimbabwe and in South Africa around that theme of writing and literature and digital connections. And we wanted to kind of build on those rather than start brand new connections in other countries. I think in Wales we have a tendency not to talk about ourselves too much, um, you know we're very interested in other cultures we're very interested in dynamics in how other countries are relating to their neighbours um, and I think what we sometimes lack is the talking ourselves up we, we are a nation of, of really talented um, and interesting creatives in our sectors. I wasn't prepared for the amount of amazing discussions that we as a group had over dinner or you know over the late night drinks before we went to bed to to get up early the next morning and do it all again. But those thoughts and the ideas that had been simmering throughout the day just seemed to solidify during those sessions. It reminded me of what amazing artists we have across the world, Um, particularly post COVID. It reminded me of how much these experiences where you're meeting people face to face, how they're so important because they are such an easy mechanism of what the British Council wants to do. We exist to foster understanding and trust between different cultures.
0: Head of Arts Wales, Rebecca Gould, and Sub-Saharan Africa's Regional Programme Manager, Melody Sango, agree wholeheartedly with Natasha on the power of making connections face-to-face
8: we wanted i guess for for writers and creatives to have that sort of experience of having the new ground under your feet of of making new friends of of seeing sort of the world reflected through an entirely different lens as much as digital is great and it was brilliant to have it you know through the pandemic actually nothing really is as impactful as in real life engagement and meeting
5: And I think with visits like this, with conversations that are stirred up from these delegations, you know, some of the things that come up are things around shared understanding, you know, we are more alike than we are different. And I think that starts to spur off a whole different conversation in itself, but allows people to see the room and the scope for engagement and for collaboration. So through these connections, if we've been able to do that, we've been able to stimulate people to want to work with each other, want to collaborate and do new things together, then we've done our part. It's gone a long way to showing that this is why we exist as an organisation, but also how we are set up in a way that allows for
8: supporting the creative sector. We really want to encourage artists from Wales, perhaps to, now coming out of the pandemic as we have, you know, or living with the pandemic, I should say, to think about working again in the wider world and, and particularly in these really exciting um connected countries. And I think we need that. We need that excitement and we need that outward facing, outward looking way of working much more back here in Wales. I would say that currently this project feels a little lopsided. We would love in the future to welcome the people that were met in those countries back to Wales so that they can see you know what's happening here and what we're all about. <laughs>
0: And that's it. Our short journey back to sub-Saharan Africa has come to an end. I think it's fair to say we will be over the moon to welcome the artists we met in South Africa and Zimbabwe when they hopefully come to visit us in Wales during the next phase. We want to say another massive thank you to everyone we met in Johannesburg and Harare. You literally changed our lives and we'll never forget you for it. I want to thank Patrick McGuinness Kat McChrystal Fletcher Branwen Davis and Geffen Evans for their time and the British Council for making this trip and subsequent podcast happen and of course we want to thank all of you for listening hey. this show was hosted by me Jafar Iqbal and the whole series was produced by Hannah Loy we'll leave you now with an exclusive reading of 2 by Peggy Shangwa. thank you and goodbye.
2: There are days when I don't want you. I need you. Days when my need screams. When will you get here? I'm tired of waiting for you. My heart knows your heartbeat. Faintly for now, but when you get here, the sensation won't just be lightheadedness but like a doctor's stethoscope and thermometer, I will pick it up. Symptoms and signs to a diagnosis. I knew I loved you before I met you. Other days, my cousin sighs, she says, Peggy, your ideals are too far-fetched from reality. You will waste your time waiting for the one who never comes. Days when I want to give up, I don't want to be the lone lighthouse always with a light on, hoping to guide you to shore. Where are you? Lone sailor in the vast sea, weren't your ancestors voyagers? People who can tread the sea guided by the stars. Do the waves toss you about and tempests rage? Wayfinder, are you needing a Maui? Should I come yonder? A moana to restore Tefiti's heart. Does Teka frighten you still? Is your heart tied to the many tides you gave your heart to? Man, why not pour a Peter and walk on water? Jesus is on top of the waves. He already mastered wind bending. On these days, it's simpler to hide my face. In my hands or muffle my screams in a pillow. I won't settle almost a mantra my spirit keeps saying gosh so stubborn so very sure and certain no buckling under pressure other days the doubts pay me a visit dressed up prettily singing along beautifully like sirens almost tempting me to believe the lie the mirage a beautiful lie musical war he got lost at sea shipwrecked. Your heart has been trafficked, give up. It's cruel that they didn't tell me I'd have to arm wrestle the enemy for my dreams. That this match would go beyond the table into cutthroat territory. Dungeons and dragons, a mortal combat for my reality to be pulled from my ideals. I've said a thousand farewells to you with my heart taking trips in La La Land as far as Cannes Festival, to downtown restaurants giving back wedding rings, never in life exchanged. My soul was so hung up on the idea of you until my spirit stepped in, decided to give my soul closure for this density to fade and end. My soul loves to travel down memory lanes of futures unwritten. Lately, advice has come easy, quit dressed up in fancy words take what's in front of you you can't eat what's not in your plate i refuse to be cornered in the depths of who i am there lies a revelation even though pain comes he says to me i give good gifts to my own you are not forgotten he will not forget me settling means i think he did they say it like i'm the last tomato on the market Make sure you get picked before you get bruised, squashed, or past your due date. If you rot on the market, the vendor will throw you out. Market value would have gone down the drain. I sit here and wait. I'm fresh and right. I swear it, I'm not insane. Neither am I fearful. As long as I believe my purpose, I stay fresh it looks to me like i wilt on the days i pay attention to their stories of war at market. i remember the farmer he keeps whispering to me you are meant for more and the sun says i am the vine and my father is the gardener what if i am meant to be planted taken and squeezed into the earth to die then one day bear fruit fall in a garden to the farmer's delight gathered in a basket put at the farmer's table farmer's market he alone knows my worth why bankrupt myself other days my mind convinces my heart that we play hide and seek that when i am seeking you are the one hiding then soon you will come find me and like the seeker through all mythology and portals travel through time finding me hidden no longer to you. My spirit once in a while catches my heart and flesh in a giggle from a funny bone. She laughs as she knows that in waiting, I give time for purpose to slowly bringing into vicinity. Put her hand ever so gently on mister in the picture and shoves him aside something fierce rubs the back of my head like a wee child calming me precisely at breaking point whispering with certainty you will see soon he's worth the wait he is worth the wait